Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. Hey, hey, we're back with another episode of the Hanu Health Podcast. I'm Dr. J. Glad to be here with you all to have some fun today because I've got a lot on the list. But before I get into the bulk of our content today, I wanted to talk about a few things you might already know. Hanu is out in the wild. Yeah, it's the alpha testers. So you have to be a part of, uh, you know, our elite crew in order to be (laughs) so privy to have one of these devices on. I'm largely kidding. But one of the cool things about it is that with alpha testing comes beta testing and with beta testing then comes our full release. We are indeed going to be releasing in early August, even starting as early as the first week in August, which is crazy. It means a couple things. Number one, you're about to get your hands on the best biofeedback, continuous heart rate variability and stress monitoring system on the market. I guarantee you it. And the one cool thing about this too, is that we are at basically the inception of our company. We've only been around since last August, and now we're bringing a product to market. And what we have in there right now, we are very proud of, but we know that we will continue to add and add and add and make it better and better and better. And we want your feedback as well, which is why we are going to give you something really, really special. Two things actually really, really special. The first thing is, is that the pre-order is already done. So if you got, if you were one of the lucky few that only had to put $29 down and got the device for 180 bucks, which is 40% off, uh, we aren't doing that anymore, but I am going to offer you something special. While we're not going to allow the continued $29 down, I will give you a special Hanu Health listener coupon code for 40% off. So you're going to get the full pre-order price, the same as what everybody got. You just don't get the advantage of only having to put $29 down and then you know subtract the $151 later for $180 total. We are going to uh, offer you this coupon code POD, P-O-D, 40, POD. POD 40. That's going to give you 40% off. That's lucky thing. Number one that you get lucky thing. Number two that you get is that anybody who pre-orders, which we still consider this pre-ordering because we haven't hit market yet. Not until we start shipping in August 1st. If you pre-order our product, you are going to get access to me as your coach and confidant. Well, maybe just coach. So anybody who pre-orders is going to be able to access a once a week, this is once a week, a live webinar with myself, with Chris Holbrook, who's the CEO of Hanu. And you're going to have the uh, privilege of hearing from us on what are the new updates? What are the things that are coming to Hanu? I'm going to give you some good training and education and tips and tricks on how to utilize and get the most out of your Hanu. And then the cool thing is, is that you're going to be able to provide us with feedback, but also ask us, what are your questions. 
how can you get the best or the most out of Hanu through whatever means you want? So you can have access to me there. Again, once a week live webinar, plus you get 40% off pod 40. Just head on over to HanuHealth.com, HanuHealth.com and take advantage of this. This will not last long. It is going away soon. And as soon as August 1st hits, I know that all of that will be gone because we're going to be shipping. So if you take advantage and get in early, you're going to reap the massive be- massive benefits of 40% off plus the coaching like this won't be beat. Yeah, maybe we'll run some Black Friday deals or some Christmas-related, holiday-related deals, New Year's deals, but nothing will come close to having free access to these we- live webinars with me and Chris and then also getting 40% off. We'll never run that deal again. So get on in now, hanuhealth.com, pod 40. All right, let's talk about what we are going to jump into today. Couple things. I have an amazing study all about epigenetic aging and stress to talk to you about. I really want to unpack this study because I think it is so pertinent to what we are doing at Hanu, but also if you want to get the most out of your lifespan, health span, and overall general well-being, then managing and regulating your response to stress is absolutely paramount. And this study talks all about that. So I'm going to unpack that study. Then one of the fan favorites that I always get are kind of like the day in the life podcast or the day in the life YouTube videos that we do here. And if you're not on YouTube right now watching this, you're listening to us in the podcast, go on over to YouTube because another thing we do have coming up very soon is that we're going to have brand new YouTube only content where we have videos of myself using and testing things with Hanu, giving you tips and tricks in regards to stress resiliency and elevating your mental game, cognitive performance, sports, athletic performance. All of those things are going to be occurring over on YouTube. So if you're watching us on YouTube right now, thank you for joining. Hit that like button, hit the subscribe button. That really helps people to find us. But if you're listening on the podcast right now, head on over to YouTube and then also like, subscribe, get in on that so that you can indeed have first access to brand new YouTube exclusive only content. And the last thing I will say too, it's not like I'm just pitching a bunch of stuff right now, but it all kind of pops in my mind. Sometimes I have this nice like outline of what I'm going to talk about, which I do have a bit of that right now, but then also things just pop into my mind and rather than not say them, I just figure I might as well tell you. The other thing is, is that we want you to take advantage of all of the amazing articles that we write. We come out with a lot of content. So if you go on to hanuhealth.com, you can click on the learn tab or hanuhealth.com slash learn. You will see an enormous amount of content that related to things like heart, what is heart rate variability? What is stress? How can we use heart rate variability? Should we be comparing you know, normative means against other people? Uh, athletic performance, cognitive performance in the workplace. Like we include all of these things related to Hanu and how you can utilize Hanu within that context. So go on over there. But if you want to be alerted to that, and let's say you haven't pre-ordered yet, we also have the ability for you to join our mailing list. And the mailing list, we do not fish you or send out any other like uh, I guess mass marketing spam emails we really just update you on kind of our deals that we've got going on if we have exclusives but more so on content hey here's what we've got going on that is free it is science-backed it is evidence-based here's a free education or educational article that we've written that we want you to be able to review so head on over to hanuhealth.com learn for that now back to what I was mentioning just a second ago before I started pitching you on why you need to be a part of our beautiful Hanu Health ecosystem 
what I was going to mention is that a lot of people love this like day in the life of podcasts. So like what does Dr. J do on a daily basis from the time he wakes up to the time he goes down to bed? Now, this is not going to be one of those per se, but there has been a request from multiple individuals to say, I don't necessarily want to know what Dr. J does all day because I've already done a podcast. We can link to that in the show notes. I already have that one done. But what does Dr. J do with Hanu all day now that Hanu is in the wild? And I've been using it now for months, but obviously we continue to add and add and add things. So I want to talk about what do I do on a daily basis with Hanu? How long do I wear it? When do I put it on? What am I looking for? What kind of uh, assessments am I doing? What practices am I doing? How am I enhancing my overall well-being with Hanu? So we'll spend the second half of the podcast on that. All right, let's jump in now, though, to that article. And again, we'll link all this in the show notes, but there was an amazing article that I was reviewing that came out last year. However, I mean, it's not an old article at all. It's not even six months old. But it came out in the journal Translational Psychiatry. And one of the things that we'll do is I'm not going to bore you with all of the details, but I do want to take at least some amount of time to talk about the importance of this study. Now, one thing that I'll mention is that this study does not mention or relate or come back to a discussion on certain biometrics that we use in Hanu, like HRV. It wasn't examining that, but it was talking about the predominant uh, overall theme that we speak to in Hanu, which is stress and the effects of stress. This article, again, that came out last year in, in the Journal of Translational Psychiatry is termed, or actually it's called, Psychological and biological resilience modulates the effects of stress on epigenetic aging. Now, if that sounds like a mouthful, sorry, I'll open that up. But obviously, we just kind of gave it away as to, in terms of the results is that we know that if you have stronger psychological and biological resilience, this will actually modulate the effects that stress does indeed have on epigenetic expression and epigenetic aging. So one thing that's very common amongst people who listen to my podcast and to our advisor, Ben Greenfield, Ben Greenfield's podcast and other people who are in the more anti-aging, longevity, health span, lifespan uh, domain is that people are always looking for what is that competitive edge? What is that thing that's going to give me that 1% uh, maybe boost in performance or increase in overall well-being that is then going to lead to a longer lifespan, but most importantly, an extended and longer health span. And we know that in the field of epigenetics, when we're talking about how environment, how behavior, how they uh, interact and uh, can actually turn on or even turn off gene expression, we, we, we talk about a lot of things that can do this, right? We talk about how changes in our nutrition, of course, changes in exercise, uh, changes in overall metabolic health, how, how improving our overall sleep and sleep quality and quantity can affect epigenetic expression. And one thing that we, we talk about that's been well established, and obviously I'm going to hone in on it pretty hardcore here today, is the effects of stress. And when we talk about stress, we are talking about stress more as a larger umbrella term. So psychological and physiological stress. These have a direct impact on overall epigenetic expression. We know this as someone experiences more longer term chronic, maybe we can even term it as cumulative stress. And we'll talk about that term here as it relates to this study. We know that the impact of overall chronic sustained cumulative stress is going to significantly impact and impair overall lifespan and health span. 
very much well determined in science and literature. We don't really need to hone in on the fact that stress and chronic stress. And again, I'm not talking about acute transient stress, but chronic long term deleterious negative detrimental stress can impact overall gene expression, can reduce overall health outcomes, lead to higher morbidity and mortality, and therefore is not a good thing for overall health span and longevity. So long established, I don't need to continue to hone in on this, but are there buffers? Are there ways that we can mitigate the effects of stress on epigenetic aging, epigenetic expression? And the answer is absolutely. And we're going to talk about kind of what are those buffers and how can we practically implement these buffers within the context of this study? So we know, I mean, it's stress and chronic stress is absolutely intercorrelated and it is linked with really long-term health consequences. So we talk about high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, higher risk for stroke, higher risk for diabetes and insulin resistance, higher risk for gut-related issues or GI-related issues, obviously Im Im impairs cognitive performance, athletic performance, all of these things are well known. But what this study wanted to do is it wanted to look at the effects of stress on epigenetic aging and look to see, was there anything that helped to mediate so basically, in scientific terms, was there anything that could provide as a buffer and actually, uh, from a psychological perspective and a resilience perspective, act as a potential mediator that would then lead us down a different path towards health, better health span and lifespan, as opposed to uh, allowing the body to be kind of uh, impacted negatively and the mind to be impacted negatively by stress. So they utilize what was called what's called grim age and grim age is basically a epigenetic clock. And I'll explain it a little bit more. But they also look to see were there the was there an impact of stress on these stress related physiological measures, things like adrenal sensitivity, or like the cortisol ACTH ratio. And then also too, what does stress do to things like insulin resistance? So how does it impact overall metabolic health? And this is a really common theme that I like to talk about, we're actually going to do more or less a video series on our YouTube channel, which looks at the effects of changes in metabolic health and how in uh, maybe we could even term it better as how uh, what is the impact of overall stressing our, our overall metabolic health, stressing our insulin outputs and cortisol outputs, and how does that affect other biometrics like heart rate and heart rate variability? We're going to talk about that in this study. And it looked at not just, again, these more transient stressors, but cumulative stress. And we know that cumulative stress is kind of like the compounding effects. It's, you know, if you uh, pumped a little bit of air into a two liter and sealed it, that little bit of air is probably not going to change the composition of that bottle too, too much. So that's kind of like a transient effect of stress. But if you continue to pump air, pump air, pump air, pump air without kind of like any type of buffer, if you will, then and what ends up happening? Well, it changes its composition until finally, at some point, it's going to explode like it is actually going to combust. So we know that cumulative stress is going to be extremely negatively detrimental. So what these researchers were looking to do, they took a cohort of over 440 individuals, so 444 individuals ages 18 to 50, and they were examining a couple of things. They were examining psychological measures related to cumulative stress. And so they utilized what was called the cumulative 
adversity inventory, which was kind of basic. It's basically a subjective stress measure that's asking people about major stress events, their overall kind of like total exposure to stress. And we're obviously talking about psychological stress. I should uh, confirm that that's what we're doing and gives it kind of this total score. It's got a very high reliability and validity. They were also looking at things like emotional regulation. So how well was the individual able to regulate their emotional response when they did encounter the stimuli that are stressors? And their hypothesis was that individuals who were able to emotionally regulate higher than other individuals who had maybe not so great uh, mechanisms for emotional regulation had more of a buffer towards epigenetic aging than those who didn't. They also looked at self-control. Self-control was basically the ability for individuals to regulate their behavior and control their behavior when they encountered a stress response. So somebody, let's say, with a poor self-control may say, oh, well, now I'll turn to you know eating junk food or maybe I'll be sedentary or maybe my lack of self-control will lead to you know drug or alcohol use, a more kind of extreme example. Someone with good self-control would say, okay, I'm going to hold back and resist maybe the urge to eat that junk food and maybe I'll kind of utilize another kind of compensatory mechanism that's more adaptive rather than maladaptive. So exercise, breathwork, meditation, therapy and so forth uh, and, and that's what they did and then they assessed overall DNA methylation and they looked at individuals epigenetic clock analysis so they actually took whole blood samples um, they uh, looked at uh, different um, changes and shifts in DNA methylation and overall epigenetic clock analysis so they utilized what something called grim age g-r-i-m age and this is basically a well-validated uh, epigenetic clock where they're looking to see the effects of again a covariate that would be stress and how it impacted overall um, epigenetic uh, expression, and then what were the kind of the things that then mediated or buffered that. So what do you think that they found? Well, they found a couple of things. So we know that when someone experiences compounding or cumulative stress, that it has a negative detrimental deleterious impact on overall epigenetic aging. So this is well known, but we confirmed this in this study. But what the researchers ended up finding, which I found extremely, extremely interesting, is that number one, emotional regulation moderated the association between stress and aging such that with worse emotional regulation, there was greater stress-related age acceleration, while stronger emotion regulation prevented any significant effect on overall grim age. So as people developed, or if they had a much stronger mechanism for regulating their emotions when they encountered stressful events, they did not see any significant effect on overall stress impact on epigenetic aging, but if they had worse or were deemed to have significantly worse emotional regulation, then this had a significant deleterious or detrimental impact on epigenetic aging. So what are the researchers really saying here? They're saying that if you want to provide that buffer, that psychological and biological buffer that is enhancing overall resilience to stress's negative impact on aging, then really focusing on regulating your emotions is extremely important. And it's a core tenant that we talk about in HANU. I'm going to talk more about the practical 
implications for this research study here in just a few minutes. But I wanted to highlight that one. The next thing that they found was that this uh, psychological concept referred to that I mentioned earlier as self-control moderated the relationship between stress and insulin resistance. So of course, it makes sense that as people are able to exercise better self-control, they're much less likely to engage in compensatory behaviors that then could affect aging from a physiological perspective. So if I am someone who has maybe a less, la a little bit more lack of self-control when it comes to experience of stress, and I eat, you know, ding-dongs and twinkles Twinkies and chips and cookies and donuts and all this kind of really high carb, high like polyunsaturated fat inclusive foods, then we know that this is going to have a significant effect on metabolic health. So we know that insulin is going to increase. We know that we're going to dysregulate cortisol as well, which is going to cause difficulty with insulin, disruption of glucocorticoids, like, like of course, cortisol and other glucocorticoids, uh, dysregulation in neurotransmitters like noradrenaline and adrenaline or norepinephrine and epinephrine. This is going to happen. But they found, though, that individuals who were able to ex exercise high self-control actually blunted this relationship between, again, stress and insulin resistance. How does this then relate in this research study to overall epigenic aging? So we know, and this is great research that comes out of you know places like Levels and Nutrisense, who created these platforms on controlled, or sorry, continuous glucose monitors. We know that as people are able to better regulate their overall metabolic health, that this increases uh, overall resilience, which reduces the deleterious impact of aging. So we increase longevity, we increase overall well-being when we can then control insulin resistance and metabolic health. When we know that stress plays a significant role, especially in regards to health behaviors and health behavior choices, but those individuals who were able to exercise overall better self-control blunted the effect that stress has on insulin and therefore improved overall health outcomes and reduced the impact that this has on the overall, overall epigenetic clock. I think all of this makes a lot of sense. But what I loved about this study is that it confirmed again, we know kind of direct studies like there's there's direct studies that say that if you reduce smoking, you can increase overall uh, outcomes, health outcomes by, you know, said percentage, let's say increase, you know, 11 minutes of lifespan. We don't have kind of the direct correlation between stress, heart rate variability, blood pressure, respiration rate, heart rate. We don't have that studies yet. Hanu, hopefully we're leading the way on some of those things, but it's really interesting to make these associations that if we do affect change in the areas of emotional regulation, so we increase emotional regulation, we increase our overall ability to self-control, then we can actually reduce accelerated biological aging that's being measured by, again, grim age or epigenetic uh, clock analysis. So I would I would say that this is an absolutely like fascinating study. One thing I didn't mention, let me let me mention it real quick, is that we looked at kind of the stress-related physiology and how that accelerates grim age. So we know, again, there's when we look at cumulative stressors and physiology, we know that they're very much intercorrelated and in that when we indeed significantly impact and turn on our HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, this is kind of like the cascading um, central nervous system effects that happen when we experience a stress response. We actually found that when uh, when people did have 
changes in overall cortisol output and ACTH output uh, that we and did we did in, we did indeed see that these will significantly impact overall epigenetic expression and epigenetic aging. So again, I, these are things that have kind of really already been seen in literature. This study was predominantly looking at the buffers for resilience, uh, but it's good to again confirm that it is extremely important for us to modulate uh, the the expression of those genes through emotional regulation and self-control. Now let's talk about kind of the, the practical to-dos with this. So how do we enhance emotional regulation? How do we enhance self-control? The reason that I was so passionate and am, I should say, so passionate about Hanu is because for us, we are all about how can we indeed utilize our own metrics of stress physiology to enhance performance, enhance well-being, and eventually in, uh, improve longevity, improve lifespan, and improve health span. I think that's really important for us. I love life. I'm passionate about life. I want to live as happy of a life as I can, feeling energized, feeling motivated, and feeling passionate about what I do. Uh, taking a play out of the playbook of Ben Greenfield, he always talks about how he doesn't want to be a dried, cold, libidoless individual, but live to, you know, 160. He'd rather live to 90, but be energetic, passionate, strong, um, motivated. All of those things are really important. And so Connie was created with that intention in mind. Like when we think about the pillars of health, a lot of the times we think about exercise, we think about nutrition and metabolic health, we think about sleep, and then we think about stress and relationships and community. So when we talk about emotional regulation, we know that those who have a low level of emotional regulation, and this comes from previous research that has been done, we typically see that they have very sensitive nervous systems and have a hard time with the reparation of their nervous system or repairing their nervous system, modulating their nervous system during a stressful event. So basically the impact of stress is very harsh on their physiology and stays harsh or is more difficult to modulate than those people who have better emotional regulation. Now, is emotional regulation something that you can train? Is it something that you can teach? And the answer here, excuse me, the answer is a resounding Again, listen to me on this one, a resounding yes. You can train better emotional regulation. And as we see from this study, this can have significant impacts on overall aging and longevity. So this is something that you are doing, you are committing to, you are putting in the time and effort and practice to do this in order to improve overall health outcomes and longevity and epigenetic expression. So how do we do this? Well, with Hanu, the whole idea is that we train autonomic control so that we're not the individual that gets smacked or taxed by stress. And then we find it very hard for us to get out of it. That accumulation of impact of stress is what leads us to be emotionally dysregulated. We have a cascade of physiological phenomena that occur that I mentioned earlier, but then, and this is things like dysregulation of the HPA axis that can then lead to more externalizing behaviors, which are very much intertwined and tied or interconnected with emotional regulation uh, and is something that needs to be impacted. So uh, what do we do here? Well, again, we can utilize all these other health behaviors, but the lowest hanging fruit is engaging your nervous system for better autonomic control, engaging in slow paced diaphragmatic breathing, changing the biomechanics, biochemistry, and cadence of breathing, utilizing biofeedback as 
as a tool or a mechanism to determine the efficacy of that practice. All of these things lead to less of that hair trigger. You know, that the, you, you might know those individuals that feel like you're walking on eggshells with them, or it's like that hairline trigger, you barely press it and they explode. We know that that leads to poor outcomes. That is very clear, but we can put that buffer of better emotional regulation through biofeedback, through monitoring of our stress response and training of autonomic control. This can be one of the best things that you could possibly do and easiest things that you could possibly do. We say that we, you know, with Hanu, this is like your autonomic regulation coach, your vagal exercises, your vagal coach as well. All of these things can be quite helpful. Self-control typically is a little bit harder of one, but is very much interconnected with emotional regulation. We know that these variables are very much married with one another. As people develop better emotional regulation, they will typically uh, develop better uh, self-control. And that's because if emotions get so dysregulated that it starts to jade our judgment, it starts to bring us to a different cognitive space, then the uh, ability to engage in better self-control uh, is diminished. It's not eliminated because we all have choice. We all have volition here. So what we say with self-control is that this takes time and it takes training. So whether that's through the use of more cognitive behavioral type therapies to engage in better cognitive control and, or training your physiology to better emotionally regulate so that you can have better self-control. Again, the end result of this, two, of this study is that if you can better regulate those two components of emotional regulation and self-control, you're going to have better longevity health outcomes. You're going to uh, decelerate um, excessive aging from an epigenetic perspective. And this is then going to lead to better overall well-being and health. So hopefully that was helpful uh, for you all. You know, I didn't want to get too into the weeds on the study, but I loved this study for what it was because I think it provides a lot of value and really strikes home the immense importance of discussion when it comes to what you should be doing every single day in order to enhance autonomic control in an effort to reduce excessive emotional emotional dysregulation and a lack of self-control so there you go and again we'll link to that in the show notes and on our website uh, for this study that was done and you can read the entire study we have the pdf version there for you all right, let's talk a little bit about the the day in the life of Dr. J in regards to his use of Hanu. One cool thing about that, which is probably more of right now when I'm recording this podcast, it may not be necessarily something that I agree with down the road because we'll stabilize a lot of things is that we're adding so many new things to our application right now that um, <laughs> it's like I add something kind of new every single day um, because a lot of the stuff that we're putting into this app obviously is coming from my desire to build an app that is very useful, practical, and is really all about helping you to elevate your mental game elevating your cognitive performance, improving overall stress resiliency, and having that as a predominant uh, theme in your life. Now, let me just walk through kind of start to finish of my day on how I use Hanu. A couple of logistics. Um, I do not, and I do not, um, I guess I suppose I should say, I do not recommend that you wear this at night. Um, number one is that wearing an ECG um, is just not comfortable at night and it's not necessary, especially if you're wearing, you know, a, an overnight uh, device like Aura or Whoop or any of those other types of sleep trackers. It's just not necessary to wear this. Like, will you get amazing clear crystal data 
you will, but I don't think it's necessary. I generally wear my Hanu anywhere from about six to eight hours a day, but I'm like one of the ultimate power users. Like obviously like I, I built this device. So for me, I'm going to use it all day, every day. I don't expect everybody to do that. Like if you're wearing it two hours a day, four hours a day, six hours a day, then I mean, think you're going to get so much immense value from it. But really like just wear it however long gives you the most practical knowledge and information. And if you f- decide, you know what, I don't need to n- kind of monitor myself all day. I'm just going to do like the extensive trainings that you guys have uh, in here and really just look at the efficacy of these trainings and really help it more as a kind of conditioning response. Or maybe I just do morning reading however you want to use it like by all means do it the great thing about this software platform is that it's an absolute powerhouse for analysis and self-comparison and for training and so i really want you to use it as you best see fit all right let's start off in the beginning of the day so the first thing i do in the morning um, before i do anything So this is before I have caffeine, uh, before I get moving, get my heart rate going, is I lie in bed and I throw this bad boy on. I throw the strap on and I take uh, my morning snapshot. So within Hanu, you'll have the feature, uh, which is under assessments. So if you click the train button and then you click over on the right hand upper corner, uh, and I'm going to do it on my app. I actually have my phone on here. So if you're on YouTube, you can see. (laughs) You can see my stress resiliency is uh, 56. My HRV is like around 20. Heart rate's around like 80-ish or so. I'm talking, so we know that that's a natural stressor on the body. Not a bad thing. If you see that happen, it's a natural occurring thing. And that's one thing you're going to notice with Hanu is that a lot of people misunderstand or have myths around HRV, and it should be kind of high all day and under every context and every circumstance. It's absolutely 100% not the case. So you'll kind of see how these natural rhythms of life and the things that you do on a daily basis are going to cause changes or fluctuations in heart rate variability. So the first thing I do is I take a morning snapshot. Why do I take a morning snapshot? So if you've utilized any other HRV applications in the past, Elite HRV, um, uh, the the uh, uh, Marco Altini's company, HRV for training, or you utilize even Whoop or Aura, is that we see that there is the ability to derive autonomic nervous system recovery scores uh, from taking a static reading that is consistent each and every day at the same time and under the same conditions. What is this telling us? Well, this is giving us a really good um, level of insight into shifts in our autonomic nervous system that are uh, indicators of recovery very similar to Marco Altini's theory and idea on this. And you should read his blog on this. I think it's a beautiful example. I tend to only to not look as much or weigh as much into overnight readings as I do in my morning readiness reading. So overnight, you're taking an average overnight, which is very scientifically found. The company should be doing that. And that's a good thing. And if that's your only mechanism for assessing recovery, uh, that's okay. That's fine. The reason I prefer it in the morning is because you're going to get the best snap shot as uh, into how well sleep actually helped you to recover or maybe your lack of recovery during sleep. One of the things that we give you uh, that is unlike any other type of overnight wearable that's out right now is we're going to give you all the advanced metrics of heart rate variability. You're going to see all the frequency domain measurements. You're going to see all the uh, uh, time domain measurements. You're going to see a lot of things that we're going to compare every single day to one another. So the great thing about this is that you're going to have the advanced biometrics that you don't get on other types of wearables. And again, we're looking to see, like, have we been fully recovered 
compared to our normal baselines? Have we been fully recovered? Or is our nervous system experiencing a lot of taxation? For me, after I have gotten that score, do I then make decisions based on that score? The answer is yes and no. The one thing that I must always do, and we have the ability to do this within the app, and I highly, highly, highly recommend that you do this, is that you will rate yourself subjectively on how you're feeling. Anywhere from all the way one shifted polar end, which is like, I am recovered, I feel relaxed, like I am good to go, all the way to the opposite end, I am not recovered, like I feel super stressed, I feel super worn out. You have the ability to rate yourself subjectively. It is extremely important that you are not solely taking the data that is coming from Hanu objective data and saying that's the end all be all. I'm making every decision based on that number. No, you need to have your uh, ducks in a row subjectively as well. The reason that's so incredibly important is because, and I spoke, I've spoken about this agnosium, but I want to speak into it even more so here today, is that. If you don't check in subjectively, uh, you're leaving a lot on the table. And the reason you're leaving a lot on the table is because uh, there is a high likelihood that you are going to then live out a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, you know, my HRV wasn't good. My heart rate wasn't good. And so therefore, like, it's a great excuse for me to not work out today. Now, could it inform and say, look, you need to be cautious with your workouts? Like maybe today is not, uh, you know, the opportune time to try to put up PRs because maybe there's taxation on the nervous system that could potentially lead to injury. Yeah, maybe so, but not all the time. I think that that's where we get a little bit lost in the weeds here is that we can use this as a really interesting guide like Yoda, but we also have to listen to our inner self. Like Luke Skywalker didn't solely listen for Yoda as his guidance. Like he had to listen to himself as well. I'm really not that big of a Star Wars geek, but if you are, maybe that makes sense. Or I might get like the emails from all the Star Wars fans. Like it's a terrible example. Like what in the world? would you use that? <laughs> I have no idea. But um, that's kind of how I like to think of this is that Hanu can be a bit of the Yoda, but you've got to be the Luke Skywalker. Like you're the hero on this. So you make the subjective decisions on how you're feeling and let that guide you and let that provide impact. Again, when we talk about recovery too, like we want to speak less of day in and day out biometric scores, but more day in and day out subjective experience and trends over time. That's kind of the big thing that we want to look at day in and day out. So again, that's what I would do uh, do every morning. Time-wise, what do I do? A minute, one minute to two minutes. Now in the past, I've talked about this whole idea of doing two to five minutes. But really, if you look at the research, uh, we don't see that we increase fidelity when we go past one or two minutes. And again, I, I really think our, you know, one of our consultants and advisors, Marco Altini on this, um, he's mentioned so many, um, uh, he's written so many good articles on this and that really like once we get past that one or two minutes, we might gain a tad bit extra fidelity, but it's not enough to like warrant saying like you have to do this all the time. So uh, generally it's one to two minutes. I take that snapshot of my Hanu and I'm off with my day. Like I get cranking, but I leave my Hanu on because uh, I'm monitoring all day long. Um, almost every single day after I do this, um, and I'm taking my snapshot in the morning and, and, and under the snapshot list, you'll just hit morning reading. 
I'll go downstairs and I will, uh, you know, do my morning routine. Like I've mentioned on the podcast, but I always do a breath work session. And when I say breath work, it's really, it's, it's a breath work biofeedback session that I do on Hanu. Um, I have started to switch it up. I used to always just do resonance work and resonance frequency, uh, biofeedback in the morning, but I started doing another one that we have built in, uh, to Hanu that I have right here. If you're looking, um, on YouTube, uh, here's kind of the list of the trainings that we have. Whoops, clicked custom breathing. Um, and you can see there in the categories. Um, so a lot are going to be added, but right now we have relaxed calm. We have sleep related biofeedback and breath work sessions. So things like, you know, things to help you fall asleep, return to sleep, prep for sleep, those who have insomnia. And then we have a section called routine. And this is what I'm going to mention now. One of my favorite practices that I start with every day is the morning calm. So you can see on YouTube, uh, this is morning calm. I generally do two minutes of morning calm. So what is morning calm? Morning calm is an extended cadence breathing breath work practice with short breath holds anywhere from about five seconds to about 10 seconds. I know 10 sounds like a long time, but these are short. These are five second breath holds. They're extended types of breathing patterns um, gets you down to around five breaths per minute with a short breath hold couple of things that we're really doing here. We're really priming the nervous system for resilience throughout my day. This is going to help me engage in better focus, better emotional regulation. You see how I tied those in there? Hopefully you got that and you love that. But I do see this as a great mechanism to start my day. I have found that if I miss this practice, that I truly feel like I'm missing out on something um, that is really pleasant, um, is really helpful, and is really guiding for my day. So I always do the morning calm. There are some days where, I mean, I always, it's a non-negotiable first thing in the morning, two minutes. There are some days where I'm like, man, this just feels so good. I just raised my heart rate variability from 50 up to 90. Like I want to get it higher and I want to just practice it because it feels so subjectively good. I'll go five, sometimes 10 minutes. It's not every day, but if I, if I'm feeling great, I'll do the morning calm. Uh, next thing I do um, is I am monitoring with Hanu my workout every morning. As you heard me in that day in the life of Dr. J. I work out pretty early in the morning, generally around 6 a.m. or so, uh, and I'm wearing my Hanu. Why am I wearing my Hanu? Well, number one, it's like you're not going to get a more accurate heart rate um, collection, um, especially from, you know, from other devices. A lot of devices are great, but ours is so high fidelity. But the thing is that you can get intra or during workout, before, during, and after workout readings of heart rate variability. Now, do I utilize that as a guide? Not for the workout intensity, but during the workout and between every single working set, again, between every single working set, we call this the rest period. And, and I love this kind of term that if I'm not working out, if I'm not actually engaging in a working set, I should, and I think all of us should be focused on recovery. Well, recovery is so incredibly important, not just after our workout, but during our workout, because it's going to increase the intensity and the performance or overall performance of that workout. So how do I best do this? Well, number one, and we're going to make this a hashtag, me and the biohacker babes, uh, they, I think they were the ones who suggested making this a hashtag of hashtag get off the phone during your workout or hashtag get off the phone. 
this thing is such a distractor. And so I do get off of it in terms of like, I don't check social media. I'm not going through email. I'm on my phone, but I'm only utilizing it as a mechanism to help me regulate my breathing so that I can recover during a set. So I'll have it up and running. And during the time, I'll see kind of where I finished my set. Where's my heart rate? Where's my heart rate variability? And this is how I use HRV during a workout. And I utilize these breathwork practices to watch my beta data move because I know that as I'm priming the nervous system for recovery, I'm going to be able to get more out of the next set that's upcoming or the next 10 sets that I have upcoming. And this can be incredibly valuable and incredibly important. What results have I seen from this? Well, the first thing is, is that I notice better overall recovery, but also better overall mental headspace. If I can be fully engaged in my workout and I love a a lot of what Ben Pakulski talks about in this is that the mind is the most important and incredible, incredibly valuable tool when you're working out that if you can engage the nervous system, have that solid mind body connection, that's not just during your workout, but it's also priming the nervous system and modulating autonomic control during your rest sets. So I'm always looking to raise HRV to lower heart rate in between sets, and I'm gaining better autonomic control, better overall recovery and I'm going to increase my overall workout performance. So that's what I do during workout, during every single rest session. If I'm doing other types of training that are more, let's say, cardiovascular or aerobically focused, let's say it's zone two training on my bike or I'm swimming or I'm you know, on you know, doing some running, whatever it may be. I do tend to focus a lot on how can I engage in nasal breathing, which we should be doing anyway. I think that's, uh, if you listen to this podcast before, you know, that's well established, but the other thing that I will do, uh, very period, I won't say periodically, but I'll do as well is I'll wear honey while I'm doing that to watch my zone two um, kind of levels. And then also to just kind of watch, um, pre during and post HRV metrics, um, just kind of more of, of, of an interesting thing. But then as soon as I'm done with my workout, it doesn't matter if it's resistance training or zone two training, or if it's, you know, high intensity zone five training, I always spend time to down regulate, oh, whoops, to down regulate the nervous system through breathing. And you can use Hanu as an amazing guide for that, demonstrating kind of how you are controlling the nervous system, how you're reducing overall heart rate, how you're increasing heart rate variability, which will then translate to performance. Listen to uh, Dr. Andy Galpin talk about this. Uh, ben Pakulski talks about this. I obviously talk about this. Dr. Uh, Joel Jamison talks about this. There's a lot of great uh, researchers out there who looking at downregulating down the nervous system during a workout, but also after a workout. All right. Um, so once I'm done, um, as you all know, I almost always will hit the sauna for 20 to 30 minutes after my workout. And I love watching heart rate variability during the workout. What do I see? What am I looking for? Well, obviously there is a, a, a significant increase in heart rate. There's a significant decrease in heart rate variability that you will see on Hanu. But I always kill two birds with one stone. So I'll do biofeedback sessions while I'm in the sauna. Um, do I see significant movement of heart rate and heart rate variability while I am in the sauna? The answer is typically not a lot. I may go from, let's say, a heart rate variability of 15 when I'm in the sauna to maybe up to like 17 or 18. Maybe sometimes I can hit 20. But it's really tough to modulate your nervous system significantly because you're enduring a pretty pretty tough stressor. Um, it's basically mimicking some of the cardiovascular effects of 
exercise. And so therefore, it's pretty difficult for you to significantly modulate your nervous system. So the question would be, well, then why would you do it anyway? Why, if you know that you're not going to be able to move those markers or those biometrics, why would you do it? Well, the reason being is that even if you're not modulating heart rate variability or heart rate because of the overriding stressor, that is the sauna or the cold plunge or exercise, we know that there are other immense physiological effects that occur and neurological conditioning effects that occur when we engage in biofeedback or breath work. Just because heart rate variability or heart rate is not budging or moving because there's an overriding kind of the compounding stress of whatever you know that stimuli is, doesn't mean that your response is not in helping you to engage in better overall control and resilience. This is where I think a lot of people place way too much emphasis on data and data change instead of saying we can use this as a great adjunctive thing that we can view and that we can uh, you know, play with and practice. It's very informative. It's very helpful as well, especially under other conditions. But we're still impacting physiology significantly and conditioning our neurological and autonomic nervous system significantly, even if we don't see those numbers change. So I still do it almost the entire 20 minutes that I'm in there. So that's one thing um, that, that, that I'm looking for. Um, after I'm done, I normally do a cold shower. Now I don't do a cold plunge because I don't want to blunt the effects of uh, the heat exposure, but I'll do a cold shower and I'll just watch my data. And one of the great things that you will see is that if you run kind of a pre-sauna and cold exposure uh, 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 epoch or like a time capture period, uh, with, you can do a snapshot or you can watch it on just the overall app with Hanu, is that you will see and this, there's research to support this as well, that heart rate variability typically will raise not just back up to baseline after sauna, after an extended period of time, normally about 15, 20, 30 minutes afterwards, but it will go above and demonstrating that you're engaging in good overall recovery and good overall nervous system regulation. And so I'll see heart rate variability go up high. I'll see HR or heart rate go down and be able to balance. Now, if I'm doing like a lot of intensive workouts, let's say if it's a zone two that is coupled with a zone five training or hit training, then I get into a sauna and then I do a cold shower. Well, sometimes it will take a little bit longer for my nervous system to regulate and that's okay. But what I find is, is again, coupled with that subjective feel of, I just feel energized and good and golden and ready to kind of like take on the day. We'll also see those numbers modulate in that way. All right. Next thing I do is, um, I'm normally kind of hardcore in work. And so throughout the day, I'll just kind of monitor my overall reading. So I'll just watch the uh, device. And if you can see on YouTube right now, uh, you can see uh, heart rate right there around 88 um, HRV right now is a little bit low 15. I'm doing a lot of talking. You guys make me nervous on this podcast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but what I'll do is I'll just prop it up. Um, on on my uh, on my stand when I'm doing my, my work, and I just kind of watch it throughout the day. But also, I'm I'm looking for alerts. Um, if I fall below my baseline for an extended period of time, because we capture your baseline window with Hanu, it'll go off and it will send me a life alert. And I can say, you know, I was engaging in email apnea, or I was on my commute, or I had you know a really tough call with, excuse me, with an employee or with my family or whoever it may be. I can log those life events um, and at that time, especially when I get those alerts. And I, and I love it because for me, even though I'm an extremely self-aware individual, or at least I think I'm a self-aware individual, I will find that there are moments in time 
where I don't catch myself in the moment, especially like with email at me. That's a big one. I'll be typing out an email, not thinking about it. Next thing you know, my Hanu is going off saying, hey, what's going on here? Like, just want you to check in and I'll rate it subjectively and I'll log it as a life event and I'll just click the button like emails and I can look back over time and I can check on the Hanu app and say, oh man, it was over the course of the last week uh, I was impacted by email apnea. My stress response, my stress resiliency was impacted by email apnea seven times or 10 times or however many times. It's great to be able to look at what are those primary stimuli that result then in a physiological and or psychological stress response. And email apnea is a big one. Commute's a big one. There are these things that can absolutely compound. And there's also ways to track live events of mechanisms that are really helpful for you. It can be really impactful in a positive manner. So those are extremely important to log as well. So I utilize life events all the time when it's prompted by Hanu. We actually push the notification to you. You can then log it or also to I'll log it myself. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, this needs to be logged right now because maybe I didn't drop below my baseline, but I feel it impacting me because again, just because you're experiencing a stressor doesn't mean it's going to manifest the same exact way every time in your data. Um, it's very, very individualized and it's very context based. So we like, again, to weigh that subjective and objective data. And that's really kind of what Hanu is built on. Now, I break my fast generally almost every single day around 12, 1230 in the afternoon. Not saying you need to fast again. This is just the day in my life and how Hanu is used. One of my favorite things to do, and I always do this now, especially that we have it built in, is before I eat a meal, I want to prime my nervous system. And more specifically, I want to prime my body to be able to rest and, you got it, digest. The enteric nervous system or our GI and intestinal tract is the third division or third branch of our autonomic nervous system, which means that it is mediated and controlled by our peripheral nervous system, which is then intertwined with our central nervous system or brain spinal cord. If we want to stimulate digestion, we have to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Otherwise, food, if our we will still digest food, but if our nervous system is not primed for it, then this can cause a lot of dysfunction. It can cause GI problems, but also can cause mass fermentation of food that sits in our gut because it's not being processed at the speed it should because our parasympathetic nervous system is being withdrawn. So I always try to prime the body prior to eating. So how do I do this? Well, on Hanu, I go to my routine, I go to train, I train and then routine, and then I click on the pre-meal biofeedback and breathwork practice. How long do I do it for? One to two minutes. One to two minutes. Again, we know that proper digestion can only start with a primed and relaxed nervous system. So I use this prior to meals. And what I noticed when I prime the nervous system, and we do this as a family as well with, with my family, is that we see significant positive impacts on overall ability to digest. Heart rate does not go as high. HRV does not drop as low. The body and the mind are primed to be able to get into that mode to best utilize and mobilize all of this amazing energy that we're 
overfeeding the body. So really getting into that state. Then afterwards, I don't do it every time, but I think it's very helpful as well, is that sometimes we'll eat the meal and then we're on to the next thing. So if I'm at work, I'll eat the meal and then I'm on to a podcast. I'm on to, you know, you name it. It's kind of a fast paced wild world around here, a little bit of the wild, wild west here at Hanu. Um, it's just, it's one thing after another, boom, 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 boom. And so for me, I also like to finish the meal with a post meal biofeedback session. I'm not talking about five, 10, 20 minutes here. I'm talking about one minute and I'll click the post meal biofeedback practice, which is incredible, which is again, a mechanism for keeping the body relaxed after a meal so that we can aid in overall digestion and go about the day. So that's what I do throughout the, the rest of my work day. Uh, I'm just keeping the the monitor um, up there. I should say the phone up there and I'm just kind of watching and pacing, breathing like whenever I feel the need to. Um, if I get an alert, I always log it and then I do bio, a biofeedback session with it because I'm always trying to condition autonomic control. We know this is great for emotional regulation, for self-control, and then, of course, for longevity and aging. I've already mentioned that. So for me, it is such a valuable practice that I can do all the time, especially if I'm monitoring and watching Hanu. And even if I'm not, I can still do it. But it's helpful to see, oh, man, HRV is, you know, let the low end of my baseline. Let me just take 10 20, 30 seconds to engage in some slow paced breathing and watch my HRV go from, you know, 35 up to 50 in a matter of, you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. It doesn't take long. The more and more you uh, establish just strong autonomic control. So I'll do that throughout the day. All right. In the afternoon, um, generally around three or four, when I'm feeling kind of that nasty mental, just kind of slow down. I will do um, a, a set aside time for meditation and SDR, which is non-sleep deep rest and biofeedback. What type of practice am I doing and how long resonance frequency training or re resonance breathing, which is how we have it on our app. So under our relaxed calm, you'll see resonance breathing I'm trying to show that on YouTube, but it's not focusing. There we go. Uh, resonance breathing, or I'll do deep resonance, which is like a much more advanced form. It's very long inhales, exhales, and breath holds. I would say that start off with good resonance breathing. It has the most evidence-based uh, studies and protocols out there developed by Dr. Paul Lair, one of our advisors um, who created and coin the term resonance breathing a resonance frequency actually but I do anywhere from about five to 10 minutes of this coupled with either meditation um, or NSDR. Uh, but I love it because for me, this is the time where I can enhance uh, autonomic control and resiliency the most. Resonance breathing is like my go-to uh, for really strengthening overall uh, output of the autonomic nervous system. So I do about five to 10 minutes of this. Um, I, almost every single time I see significant enhancements in heart rate variability and overall reduction of uh, the uh, heart rate. Uh, it's just kind of the, the go-to for me. And it may be for you too. It may not be. Uh, the thing with our application is that you can take the full assessment. Here it is right here. Uh, the resonance frequency assessment and find your exact resonance frequency rate anywhere from six and a half breaths all the way to four and a half breaths. We will find it. We will lock it in and you can practice at that resonant rate for as long as you have the device. You don't need to take the assessment again. It is beautiful. So you can take it again if you want to, but it's uh, not necessary. So that's what I do. I take the, uh, I, I do that for about five to 10 minutes. One thing I didn't mention that I do every single morning, and I'm so, sorry that I forgot to mention this, but we have a lot that we're building into our app. And so there's a lot to go over here is that I will look at, um, I will actually take the bolt score body oxygen level test, um, created by oxygen advantage, Patrick McCune, 
obviously the co-host of this podcast. Um, we've spoke about this plenty, so I'm not going to speak too much about the Bolt score. But basically, the Bolt score is a great level, uh, a great test of your overall ability to tolerate CO2 pooling or CO2 tolerance. We know that this is very much informative in regards to overall functional breathing, whether or not you're breathing functionally or dysfunctionally. But also, too, it has very much a high correlation with overall cognitive performance and well-being, athletic performance and well-being. And it's something that I take every single day. And I'm looking to improve with a lot of these breathwork practices, oxygen advantage trainings that we're having built into our device. Um, all of this combined is something that I find extremely valuable and extremely informative. So I'll take it every single day. We have a beautiful charting and log of it. So you can look at, you know, the past, however many times that you've taken it, you can look to see is there progression, is there digression? And then we can provide you with good tailored approaches to, Hey, this might be helpful for you to enhance overall CO2 tolerance, to enhance overall, uh, your overall bolt, bolt score and improve performance. So that's, that's another one that I do. All right. So when I get home for work from work, um, you know, I'll spend time with my family. Uh, one thing that's really funny is that like, the more time that I just kind of sit and talk and hug and snuggle my boys and just like engage in relationship and good quality time with them, heart rate is always stabilized. Heart rate variability goes up. It's just a beautiful thing to watch. I try not to watch it too much when I'm doing that because I want to be actively engaged with them, but it's a really pretty, just beautiful thing to watch. And I know it sounds maybe a little bit kind of woo woo, but it's the body responding. Like I know that when I'm with my family for the most part, like they sometimes like really stress me out and my HRP plummets when I'm with them. But when I'm just come home from work and I need just like a good hug and snuggle, the love and friendship and relationship that I have with my wife and my boys, it always enhances these great biometrics and biomarkers. Uh, we all do. I, I always do again before my dinner, I'll do pre-meal, post-meal, type of practices. And then as the evening comes and I'm ready for sleep, that's when I engage in my more sleep related practices. So we know that we need to prime the body for sleep and it's going to be our ultimate recovery time, but good sleep starts as soon as you wake up, but it's really important the hours leading up. And there's great information out there by Molly McLaughlin. If you're not following Molly, um, she does a podcast called sleep is a skill. She's a wonderful human being. She's going to be a part of the round table discussions that we have on this podcast, but I love Molly. But one of the things that I will do um, is I'll do the evening calm. So uh, on our app, um, the very last one that's on there now, it may be different when you use the app, but man, it's after a long day, just some good slow paced breathings with some shorter breath holds is going to really help you to end uh, the day well and to relax and recover. So I'll do a minute or two minutes of that. And then um, I actually, when I take my, my actual device off and you, again, you do not need your device to do any of these breath work practices and biofeedback practices. Yeah. Yeah, you won't get the benefit of seeing your data, but you can use them at any time um, just as a simple breathwork practice without any data. And that's the great thing about this is that it's beautiful to be able to see the modulation and autonomic control that you have. But we also know that there's immense physiological effects that occur and great subjective effects that occur regardless of whether or not you're actually wearing uh, your polar so for me, um, I'll, again, I'll do the evening calm, but then before I take my, my uh, strap off, what I will do is I will use um, a, a couple of them. Uh, one, my favorite one to use for sleep is called sleep preps, uh, or sorry, sleep prep. What does this actually look like? It's actually extended breath holds that help you to prime your nervous system and prime the body for sleep. 
it is one of my favorite practices to really ease into the bed, ease my body in. I've got my red lights on in my room. I mean, my mouth tape's already on. My eye mask is ready to be covered up and I'll just do this breath work session. I'll watch my data change. Sometimes I won't even have the strap on. I'll just do the breath work practice and I'll go to bed and it's, and I sleep like an absolute rock. Now, if you're someone who has a lot of difficulty with sleep, um, there's a couple that you can use that are really effective. One would be our insomnia breathwork practice and insomnia biofeedback. I think that's a really, really good one. It's really helpful for when you have like those toughest of nights, but I always recommend the sleep prep practice. And then another really good one is if you are having difficulty falling asleep. So in terms of falling asleep, like if you have uh, just kind of the ability to go, go to sleep right away, which I typically do have, like my latency is a lot low. Like aura always gives me bad scores because they are like on latency because they say I fall asleep too fast, meaning that I'm overtired or fatigued. Not sure. I fully agree with the science on that. I'm not sure if they have science for that, but if they do, I'd love to know more, but if you have trouble with latency, so it's taking you a long time to fall asleep, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, we have a fall asleep biofeedback session. So this training is really helpful in re-prepping the body and the mind and re-strategizing your nervous system to calm down so that you can drift off to sleep. So that's one. The other one that we have is for those who wake up and they don't want to wake up and they're having a hard time going to sleep. Well, you can use some of the other sleep ones, but we have one specifically for you. It's called return to sleep and return to sleep is a really great one that helps to reestablish a calm nervous system through uh, extended breath holds and through large scale exhalations to prime the parasympathetic nervous system and engage the vagal break. So I don't use fall asleep or return to sleep um, very often, if at all. And the reason being is because I do a lot of other things to help with sleep and generally I have a pretty good sleep. But if you are having trouble with falling asleep due to latency difficulties, or you're having difficulty with staying up after you wake up or like an early morning awakening that you don't want to have happen, highly recommend the return to sleep feature. Whew, that's it. That's my day uh, of Hanu use. Now, again, like I'm an absolute power user. I better be a power user. <laughs> I created this dang thing. But I do understand the immense physiological and psychological benefits that this system has. I mean, it, it just does. I mean, the research is so clear. Like we at Hanu will obviously be delivering on research. But we know that the decades among decades of uh, research in both the field of uh, biofeedback but also too in breath work, it's a resounding, resounding uh, amount of research that is, speaks to the importance of engaging in these practices on a daily basis. As you know, and you heard today, for longevity reasons, it's important increasing lifespan, increasing overall health outcomes, reducing kind of the effects that stress and lack of self-control can have on insulin resistance and cortisol output, HPA dysregulation. All these things are incredibly important. And the more and more that you use Hanu, the more and more you train resilience, the more and more you train autonomic control, the better you're going to have that conditioned response so that the impacts of stress are way less deleterious and detrimental than they have been previously. 
All right, let's wrap it up today. Again, thank you so much for joining and listening to this episode of Hanu Health. Again, use that coupon code POD40, gets you 40% off of our system. It will not last long. Once August comes, that goes bye-bye, and we are not in the realm of 40% off. Like It's just not going to happen again. So I want you to get access to this now. You get all the features that I just mentioned, plus more, because this is alpha. This is what we have in alpha. What we have coming down the road is going to be mind-blowing in a game changer for the anti-aging longevity elevation of your cognitive mental game like all of that combined like you're going to see that this is going to be something that is going to be massively integrated into your life if you are ready and willing to kind of take that step and gain better control of your nervous system gain better control of your stress response you are going to love it Last thing I'll leave you with is if you want to help support this podcast, you can do a couple things. You can go buy that Hanu, hanuhealth.com pod 40. You can do that. But the other thing that can be even more, well, I won't say even more because money in the bank is always <laughs> going to be helpful for us. Um, but the thing that can help um, a lot, we'll, we'll put it that way, is to go on to Apple podcast and write us a five star review. That gets people our way, gets more people listening to the podcast. And if we read your review, during the Patrick McEwen and I Q&A, we'll send you out a free Hanu Health gear pack. It's got so much cool stuff. It's got some Patrick Oxygen Advantage stuff as well. You're going to love it. So again, help us out that way, and we will be immensely grateful. Everybody, have a wonderful week. Really work on elevating your mental game through all these practices. We will see you all later, and take care. Love you all. Thanks for listening to the Hanu Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less.